Welcome to the Plus Six Podcast. My name is Pete, and I go by the name of AFL Ratings Pete on Twitter. Joining me on episode 31 as co-host is a man you know on Twitter as JeppyDT. Welcome to the show, Jep. Thanks for having me, mate. We are going to get footy back. How exciting. Oh, thank the Lord. Jeez. It's like the longest term ever, hey? Sports and not having sport has just been a real struggle. The uh, We can actually start planning our round two trades now. How about that? Yeah, so this is we've we've got an end date. It looks like mid June, and um, yeah, it's it's exciting for us and exciting for footy and fantasy fans. On episode thirty, Jeff and I covered off on the overall top twenty-five defender ownership and trading strategy. On this episode, we will cover off on the all-important midfield top twenty-five and ownership strategy. Episode 31, Jep, here we go. Five midfielders were highly owned in the starting eight of the overall top 25 in round one. Matthew Rao, 96% owned by the top 25, 65% competition owned. Jep, that ownership is no surprise, and his role looked good in round one, attending 27.8% of CBAs. Yeah, much what we expected and worth the extra money. Tom Mitchell, 88% owned by the top 25, 51.4% competition owned. That value was far too good to ignore, Jeb, for an elite fantasy player at round one. Absolutely. You know, the sky was the limit with Tom, and and when he hits his peak, we'll we'll be reaping, or the owners will be reaping the rewards. Marley and Pickett, 84% owned by the top 25, Jeb. 62.3% competition owned. Thankfully, Pickett didn't play a game in the home and away season last season, and he was a bargain at 170k to start the season, Jep. Yeah, no-brainer, really, wasn't it? It's um, it, it was for job security and um, and and his his value. So um, you know, uh, there was debate whether to start him on the field. I think he he you know scratched his way to a half decent score in round one, and um, mm-hmm. but you know he he um, looks the goods for the whole season. Lockie Neal, sixty-eight percent owned by the top twenty-five, Jep. Twenty-three point five percent competition owned. Neil was used at a whopping 96.2% of CBAs in round one and scored 108 points. He is an elite midfielder, Jeb. Yeah, look, he, he dominates. Um, the thing I don't like about Neil is he's handball happy, and but he's in and under and he gets his tackles and the like. So, you know, that's, having that first round one peak score like he did last season, um, in the first half of the season, he pretty much dominated and every everyone jumped on and, and good luck to them. But, uh, yeah, I'd look old. I'll follow the trend from last year and stay, sort of, yeah, stay away for now. Anyway, Jack Viney, sixty percent owned by the top twenty-five at round one. Jep, nine point two percent competition owned. After an impressive Marsh Community Series, Viney continued his form into round one. Jep. Yeah, man, on a mission, and I'm disappointed. I I changed my. He was in my team the night before, so yeah, look. One that got away, and, and he's one I'm still contemplating now. I um I want to cash in on some value, and I've got a few few issues, and I, I need to make some cash from a you know a higher price premiums from a say a Bonson Pelling in my team to a Viney. It could be a, a little wise move to bank a hundred grand. All top five ranked teams started with Rail, Mitchell, and Pickett at round one. Six of the top twenty five teams owned the combination of Rail, Mitchell. Pickett, Neil, and Viney, including the number one ranked team, Jep. Yeah, look, and 
No surprises there, given what they scored in the first round, but that's a good balance. Um, I'd love to see the rest of their teams. So the question here is, Jeb, are you willing to take on Lockie Neal, who is a target for being tagged, and Jack Varney, whose scores do fluctuate throughout the year, and his game style could possibly have an early expiry date on his high scores? For me, it's um, it's about Vining and cashing in on Vining's value. So he's already gone up 41 grand, missed the boat, that's okay. But that's not to say there's not another 100, 120 grand in it. And we've spoken about really being on the front foot in earnings and, and generating cash. And we can't necessarily rely on the rooks this year. And um, I think he's a smart avenue. As for Neil, you know, at 791000 it's it's past the peak. Um, so I'm looking now to round two for my value picks, and Viney's definitely on, you know, high on the agenda. So a fair few fantasy coaches are going to target Viney, Jep. Additionally, he's high ownership by the majority of top-ranked teams are going to make an issue for you trying to find unique players so that you can overtake them later in the season. Your thoughts there? Yeah, I don't mind that. I, I, honestly, I do not mind that. I, I, granted, I, I know everyone's going to jump on, or most people will, but I'm worried about my team and the balance of my team, and I want to really cash in on this um, $100,000. Is The way I'm looking at it, look, I'm looking at a Dunkley to Viney or a Bontempelli to Viney specifically, mm-hmm. and I just think it's a no-brainer. You know, if... If I can generate that fund or that money, um, then Tom Green, another midfielder starting on my field, suddenly becomes a viable trade-up option for a mid-pricer. I don't own Lockie Neal and I don't own Jack Viney. I certainly won't be owning them at round two. Other elite players of note that were in the top 25, Jeb. Patrick Cripps, 40% owned by the top 25. No one would be questioning Cripps' talent but he's always a chance to be targeted, Jep. Yep, and he look, he looks super fit um, round one against Richmond. And typical Richmond, they didn't pay him any respects by way of a tag or anything like that. So, yeah, his score's going to fluctuate, and I had him last year and learnt the hard way, and I won't be making the same mistake again this year, no matter how many 150s he pumps out. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Stephen Cornelio, 40% owned by the top 25, Jep. I'm expecting the Giants midfield to put up big numbers this season. Your thoughts? Yeah, look, and he was one I, I, I did have in my midfield for quite some time and and I, I ended up sticking with him. Um, I think he's just a solid bet. You know, I think although you're paying for him, you know, he, he does everything. He tackles, he kicks goals. He's now the leader of that football club and he's a very proud and great player. So I saw him as a safe bet and... Um, yeah, look, it's it's probably um, probably not going to move for, for me. Jack McRae, 28% owned by the top 25, Jep. The Bulldogs will no doubt bounce back for me. I'm expecting McRae to put up big numbers. Yeah, and, and we expect that being the second highest score last season and the highest midfield score last season. So, um, yeah, look, that's that's a given. That's a given from, um, from Jack. So, um, for me, Jack's a down-the-track um, sort of pick-up, and I hope 
obviously from a personal point of view, he has, he has a lull in form and I can get him a bit cheaper. Sounds good. Andrew Gaff, 20% owned by the top 25, Jep. Gaff is still a unique type of player that keeps hitting his numbers. The interesting aspect may be if the Eagles do play a group of games away from Opta Stadium at some stage, what will that do to his average, Jep? Yeah, he'll test it, that's for sure. Um, but he's super consistent, isn't he? Um, and he's got his role and he knows what his job is. And look, he, for, <laughs> for me, I've never touched him. You know, in the last couple of years, I've never had him in my team and I just can't do it. He's not a, as much as he, he, to score big, he really needs a big possession game. Um, he's not a big mark taker, although. He does get the old, well, he gets quite a few uncontested marks, but he, and he's not a big goal kicker either. So, um, so I don't think you know with Tim Kelly around, I think again his form might be up and down. Yeah, I actually agree with that. Jeb, of those four players, I have more confidence in Cornelio and McRae. Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely, no doubt. We know last year the overall winner Cray targeted unique types in the midfield in the early part of the season. He also traded out Sam Walsh at round eight, which was early and unique compared to the rest of the competition. Your thoughts there, Jep? Yeah, and that was that's sort of that point of difference that no one really would have um, considered at the time. From memory, Sam Walsh was coming back, you know, off some three-figure scores and a, and a few 80s. So um, big balls, but um, yeah, it paid off. And you, there's the same can be said for for Rao. You know, as a young player, you know, does he have a dive in form, just that um, that physicality and, and backing up week to week, you know, how long will that last? That's always going to be a question mark, but it's like Russian roulette. You've got to pick the time and hope you picked it right um, because, you know, at the same time, Sam Walsh, you know, in the back end of the season, still scored hundreds mm-hmm. and um, and rewarded those that um, that kept him, but um, <clears throat> too little, too late. So the key for me there, Jeb, is Gaff was suspended in the early part of last season, so therefore his ownership was very low. So the overall winner, Craig, targeted a low-owned player. Now, if you take the same theory as Sam Walsh, he was a very high-owned player, not, not only for the highly ranked teams, but for the overall competition. So one way to find a unique way through the highly ranked teams was to go against the majority of ownerships. Your thoughts there? Yeah, uh, it's, it makes clear sense to me um, what the strategy is. Uh, there's just gotta be the right time for it. So you wouldn't obviously trade out Grundy but or anything like that it's it's targeting upgrades that that is the most the biggest key um and who you upgrade to so um i think that works in that respect but um yeah trying to like sideways trade or or anything like that it's it's not the go it's it's picking a moment to to upgrade and be disciplined with the upgrade trades maybe it's then actually just being early on something your thoughts there yeah, 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 absolutely. So uh, let's take Sam Jacobs. He's obviously not the the, the second best ruck at R2. Um, we'd, we'd all look to, or Jacobs owners would look to target Gorn and bring Gorn in at some point. It's picking that moment, isn't it? It's really picking that moment of when Jacobs is, clo- is he close to topping out, questionable, do I have enough in the war chest to just do the upgrade now in two trades? 
or, or whatever. So you've got to weigh all that up. But, um, you know, Jacobs this season might score, outscore Gorn in some rounds. It's, it's potluck, isn't it? So um, picking those times and sort of reading the players, you know, Jacobs might might tie towards the end of the season. Gorn's lost a bit of weight and, and looks pretty fit and fresh and he's had an extended break now to get over that pre-season injury. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of factors to weigh up. It's it's about timing and, and yeah, look, Jacobs is probably a good example given his ownership. I guess the early upgrades this year, Jet, could be, obviously, you mentioned Matthew Rowell there and Marley and Pickett too as well. Maybe it's time that we could potentially find a unique path upgrading both of those players. Yeah, and if I was to pick who to go first out of those two players, I'd actually pick Marley and Pickett mm. based on his scoring ability. I think he really scratched his way to 60 in round one. Um, I don't consider him a, a big big scorer this in fantasy. So, um, you know, he's on my radar as, a, as one of the first upgrades early, especially if Tyler Brown is still... Um, doing his thing and um, at Collingwood and getting some game time. I guess there it's how much cash can one player generate. Now, obviously, Real is going to start 100k in front of Pickett, and Pickett's going to have to have you know four, five, six weeks so we can get up to that you know 400 plus sort of range so that you can you know upgrade with you know two or three hundred into a, a fallen premium chip. Yeah, it's spot spot on, but it's. Um, it's calculated weight, and, and obviously the midfielders score the most, typically. So that's probably one of the areas you target first, if, if everything else is stable. Looking at some players on the back of the Andrew Gaff story, who was suspended from last year and obviously very low-owned, looking at this year, a couple of players here I might want to mention. Uh, Adam Trelaw, Tim Taranto may provide an elite option in the midfield for an upgrade. They won't be highly owned yet. Bashar Hawley in defence, he's another option at a different part of the ground. And maybe even a Lance Franklin in the late part of the season, obviously pending fitness. All of those guys didn't play in round one, Jep. Yeah, and, you know, to be brutally honest to the listeners, that that third bonus trade that we've been given, Mm. I'm actually looking at a sideways trade um, for Trelaw or Taranto. Um, I think that has the potential to get a big leg up or on, on, you know, as a point of difference and on the rest of the fantasy competition. Obviously, Tim Taranto coming off uh, a shoulder surgery, so obviously we need to check on his fitness. But that that type of scenario, targeting him, like for me, going from Real into Trelaw as quickly as possible, even Pickett into Taranto based on fitness, or even straight into Bashahuli, who we know can put up big numbers in that Richmond defence, especially if they're chipping it around late in games with big big leads. Obviously, uh, we think Richmond are going to be up there this year, Jep, so I suspect there is going to be a lot of um, extra points late in games, especially the, what I've seen in round one, Jep, is once teams had a, a, an early lead, besides that St Kilda North Melbourne game, once teams had an early lead, that was pretty much shut the gate. Your thoughts there? Yeah, it, and with the reduced quarters, I think that's more of a factor, isn't it? Mm. Less time to, to get back in games in that time-on scenario in each quarter. So, yeah, uh, you did it right. Okay, Jeb, this part I'm going to enjoy because we are going to start to compare teams, uh, not only ours, but those of the top 25. Jeb, the average salary spend on the starting eight midfielders in round one by the top 25 was $4.51 million. 
the number one ranked team, spent $4.61 million. The highest spend was at $5.53 million by the number 22 ranked team. The lowest spend was $3.96 million, so a bit of a difference there. $3.96 yeah. million by the number four ranked team. Your thoughts there? I think the guy that spent the least is obviously in the box seat, um, given his cash generation. Number four ranked team as well. How about that? Mm, yeah, he'd be sitting pretty. Jep, you spent $4.48 million. So based on the average, was 4.51. So you're around about the mark. So that was your starting eight midfielders in round one. I spent $4.40 million. So I was just a touch less than you on my starting eight midfielders in round one. Your thoughts there? Yeah, okay, that's interesting. I, I've gone with the five primos set up and three rooks. Uh, yeah, I went with four premiums. Uh, the fifth was Andrew McGrath and then the three rooks there as well. So a bit of a different strategy there, but pretty much around the same spend. I did spend up on my premium midfielders. The average score by starting midfielders in round one by the top 25 was 644.4 points, Jep. The highest score was 757 by the number 22 ranked team. So that, remember back there a second ago, I said he, yeah. that coach spent the most at 5.53 million and he got the payoff in round one by scoring the highest in that top 25 at 757 points. Okay, with the lowest, they're also at 527 points by the number four ranked team. And again, as, as, as I mentioned a second ago, that, that coach did spend the least amount of money in the midfield starting eight at round one. Your thoughts there, Jeff? Yeah, so there's a good um, sort of parallel there. Um, what's the, you know, the, di the significant difference between the 22-ranked team and the fourth-ranked team um, is, is, is notable. And yeah, 230 points there. Yeah, that's, that's huge. So, um, look, I think... If I had, if I was in fourth place at the minute, <laughs> I'd be pretty damn happy. Mm -hmm. Jep, your starting eight midfielders scored 508 points. So remember, the average was 644.4 points. My starting eight midfielders scored just a touch more than you at 564 points. Your thoughts there? Yeah, Dunks and Bonson Pelly, they've got a lot to say for themselves. Um, but other than that, and Tom Green, really. That was they're, they're the three killers, and um, you know, there's they're on notice, mate. <laughs> what can I say? Uh, I look, I went Bontempelli, Bontempelli, sorry for a bit of a difference, as well as Dunkley. I, I looked, I, I liked Bontempelli's first couple of games, and I always was going to side trade him down the track. Um, that was a sort of pre pre made plan to try again get a leg up on others that. Really, the astute coaches wouldn't have gone Bontempelli. Everyone would have gone McRae. And look, that didn't pay off in round one, but it still might. But um, yeah, those those numbers uh, obviously hinged around the performances of Dunkley, Bontempelli, and Tom Green. And Tom Green's the biggest priority out of the three. Yeah, no doubt. So obviously, you're 140 points approximately behind what the average in the top 24 did. And we're traveling, trailing a little bit by... Um, a little bit more than that, but you can see the majority of the damage was done in the midfield for us, not getting the premium scores uh, as we might have hoped for. My my five midfielders with McGrath number five, who was actually my 
higher scoring midfielder in round one. I'm actually quite happy with, so I, I suspect there's going to be some type of fluctuation in the next few rounds, which actually could increase our rank jet. Your thoughts there? And and basically, you know, if, if Bont, from your point of view, if Bont and Dunkley start to smash it, I mean, those points are going to be made up very quickly. Yeah, and that's the thing. So, like, you've got to back, although one round's passed and we've got some data, you've got to back in your initial decisions. You can't just be knee-jerk. See, for me, I, I'm not really concerned about my primo selections. I'm more concerned about the setup and and seeing if I can move a Tom Green for a mid-price or that shows a lot of potential and value. Mm. And that's not that might be a mid-price that hasn't played yet. You know, there might be the others that, that sort of put their hand up. Um, I can swing with DPPs. I've got plenty of options to consider. So it's, um, yeah... I always, I'm really I'm still concerned about the the rooks, the on-field rooks, and the scoring potential of on-field rooks. And especially when we get the rooks at round two, because we're, they're not going to have played for you know, 12 weeks or whatever it's going to be, 10, 12 weeks. They're not going to have trained either. So they only get, probably looks like a three to four week block of training. A lot's going to be said in that time. And you would think the youngsters with not huge tanks and not a huge training base to start with are really, really, really going to struggle, mate. So, I look, the rows and pickets of the world, it was pretty locked in, but, geez, I'd be surprised if Tom Green played come round two. Oh, um, not only that, he's, Callum Water should be back in town at least by then, and yeah. Tim Durando wouldn't be that far behind it. Exactly. So his job security for Tom Green is pretty much um, under 20%, I would actually rate that there. But for me, though, actually, I don't think fitness will be an issue. I think it's more or less, which probably is under the same banner, it's the game conditioning. So the rookies don't have that game conditioning and continuity of games. So therefore, once they, you know, if they're playing around two, three, four, that could actually be a bit of an interruption. And you know what? They might actually get a, a rest more often from what we've seen in previous years with regards to rookies. And don't forget, uh, with no um, state leagues to be played this season for the AFL, um, I suggest it might be difficult to even find rookies that might come into some teams that we pretty much banked on in previous years to make downgrades for. Your thoughts there? Yeah, look, one one goes hand in hand with the other, isn't it? So you, on your first point about the game conditioning, absolutely, it's a physicality. So the mature age rooks that we've got in our teams, like the Branders and the Starkoviches, even the Tyler Brown, who's had a year in the VFL, yeah. we give them big ticks. But those first-year players, like Buderick's and Greens and um, I think Rao's an exception to the rule, they don't have that base. So we're going to have a lot of chopping and changing of teams and, um, yeah, we're just going to have to ride the wave out, mate. Jep, the number 22nd ranked team that we mentioned who did spend $5.53 million at round one on a starting eight midfield. Listen to this. Neil... McRae, Mitchell, and Viney. No surprises there, Jep. We're happy with those first four, and, yep. it's, and it's yep. obviously pretty good scores. Yep. As we continue on into the, his final four starting eight midfielders, Gaff, Fife, Rockliffe, and Rao. Can you believe that, Jep? So he's, you... got, 
He's got seven, seven premiums, premiums. Yeah, and one rook. Yeah, could you have done that? I mean, that might actually be good now based on what we've just discussed with regards to rookies and midfielders and what's going to happen. It is, but obviously he's other... So, like, he might not have Grundy, for example. There's got to be a, a, a fallback on the rest of his team. Let me read, and you, it, let me read you that team, chip, and we can dissect. because all right, then we can go back and say, yeah, actually, it wasn't that bad, and that might that team might crush. So let's go into defence. So it's Adam Sard, who did crush in round one. Isaac Cumming, Wayne Malira, yeah, it's not bad. Brandon Stasevich, rookie. James Aish, actually, I started with Aish, so I don't mind that at all. And Dan Houston. So that defence is not so bad. Need a couple of upgrades there, but I don't, I don't actually mind that. But knowing that I've spent five point five three million in that midfield, your thoughts there on that defence? No, oh, I'd lose sleep over that defence, but that's me. Yep. But, but <laughs> knowing that you've spent to me, he he he's got to upgrade every single one of them. Potentially, there's a question mark over Houston and whether he's a top six, but he's got a. There's no Doherty in that back six. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's interesting. Yep, absolutely. But knowing that you spent, you know, all your coin in the midfield, yeah. you know, it's it's definitely for me. It's a unique lineup. That's why I'm just holding on there. When I was looking at the amount of money spent in that midfield, I go, hang on a sec, something's wrong here. So I went back and had a look at the team and how it was constructed. And obviously, then I started looking through and figuring out all that mid money was spent in the midfield. Okay, let's move on. We know the midfield, so let's move on to the rucks. Sam Naismith, who we both agree, not bad. And yep. number two was Nick Natnui with Darcy Cameron at Emergency. Nick Nat was one player I did take a look at, but obviously when Max Gorn's ownership was quite low, I was happy to go with the two primos there. But I don't mind Natnui. Now, based on what I did see in round one, Jeb, uh, Natnui spent all but two opportunities at the centre bounce in the ruck, and Hickey was not used at centre bounces except for the last two centre bounces when the game was toast. So for me, it was Nat Nui starting in a centre bounce and then pretty much making way for around the ground for Hickey. But the discussion here on whether Adam Simpson will retain a two-ruck setup in a shortened quarter version of this season, you know, if Hickey some, somehow goes out of that team and Simpson goes with one ruck, I think Nat Nui could be a prime-time scoring player there this year. Jet, your thoughts? Yeah, look, the reduced game time suits Nick Nanui, and he's, you know, his points per minute has always been high. So I don't don't knock any of those picks. Um, it's just not having Grundy and how to how to deal with that, really. Uh, that team has got to have Naismith hold up for a, for a long period of time, and obviously Nanui to get through. Uh, unscathed there as well. So onto the forward line there, Conor Rosie. I don't mind that. A bit of a speculative pick, but I don't mind uh, his high scores when when they come through. Uh, one of your players, Jeff Bailey Smith, who we both liked. You started with him at round one, so that's a good selection there. Andrew Brayshaw, who was a fail in round one, but obviously he was highly owned. Brett Bewley was at F4. Darcy Parrish at F5. Well, I didn't actually mind that pick. And Curtis Taylor at F6. So they're all the starting players. Now go back to what we know that coach spent in round one. Your thoughts on the overall team setup, Jeff? Um, yeah, not sure about the parish kick, but yeah, there's there's sacrifices made. There's you know he doesn't have one um, the, the clear forward primo. Um, he doesn't have Grundy, yep. and he really doesn't have he doesn't have Doherty. Could have had his own. Could have had Petrarca instead of Parrish, Jeff. Can you believe yeah, that? Yeah, could have, would have, should have. But, like, it's the balance of the team. 
you know, with the primos that is my concern. So sure, yep, you got seven primos. That that doesn't give you much room to to um to sort of pick up a cheaper primo later down the track. And he already he's already got Viney, which is a great pick. Yeah. Um, but he's not leaving much room for error, even in his midfield. So look, uh, the lesson I took out of last season, two thousand nineteen, was team balance. And to me, this is not a balanced side. So, you know, Saad, Malera, and he's got Starkovic on his field. Like, jeez, yeah. there could be some diet scores coming his way in defence. So the issue there for uh, that team at rank number 22, who did spend $5.53 million in the midfield starting eight, is the bench and the potential lack of cash generation. Because there's a couple of players there that uh, may not play for quite a while. So cash generation to upgrade that forward and the fence and the rack. I mean, there's a lot of upgrades there needed. But, I mean, if some of those positions like Naismith and that now we can hold up, um, that team might be highly ranked for a little bit, Jeb. Yeah, look, <clears throat> I've just had a quick look as you were talking to at his bench and that's, uh, that was a quite a unique sort of team. So, um, look, we... we as, as good as he's done in round one, well, let's see where he's in, in round 10. I'll track that team all year, I guarantee you. I just want to see how that performs in that midfield. I mean, all that, all those seven premium midfielders, man, they can crash. Yeah, yeah, I'm not doubting that. I'm not doubting that. It's it's how we ba- how the scores balance out with that back line and forward line. Mm. Jep, our common starting eight midfielders are Josh Kelly, Stephen Cornelio, Tom Mitchell, Matthew Rial. Tom Green and Marley and Pickett. One would have thought that we've had many conversations offline <laughs> in our midfield, <laughs> uh, which we actually did, but we pretty much, we, in the end, we, I didn't want to know your team. and, and, and yeah, I, yeah. I, yeah, I continually you said, don't, don't. purposely ignored me. Nah, yeah, well, nah, every time I prodded you. Yeah, don't, don't tell me your team, because I, I actually wanted to pick my team, and we pretty much came up with, you know, six players in the midfield that were uh, equal to each other. Your thoughts there? Yeah, great minds. And ironically, though, the six that you just read out were pretty much the six that didn't move much in pre-season. Yeah. Um, the Dunks and Bonten, the last two for me, Dunks and Bontempelli were the two that I flipped around quite a lot. Um, and the night before, dare I say it, um, and there's proof in the pudding with my periscope, I accidentally revealed some of my midfield and there was, instead of Dunkley and Bont, there was actually Viney and Dylan Shield. We were the two highest scorers of the round, so that's mm. quite funny. Yeah. Jep, the only genuine concern of those top six players that we have is Tom Green. And obviously we've discussed that and his job security. Yeah, huge issue there. Huge issue. And he's, um, you know, we harped last week about Robertson um, being concerned and a risk. And I think Green's the, the primary risk here uh, for me anyway. I guess, I mean, I've got Tyler Brown on my bench, so then I can easily make that move. And if... Green doesn't play for a couple of weeks. Uh, it's not that stressful, especially when we've got, you know, I'm using the utility position this year with an extra midfielder. So I pretty much have some good job security uh, to cover Green. Uh, Jep, your unique midfielders to me are Pontum Pally and Dunkley. You've mentioned both of those. What are your thoughts on those two? Yeah. Disappointing what they produced in round one. The, the picks I, what I took away from the preseason was that the Bulldogs looked on. They looked hungry. They looked keen for success. Slightly all bought in. They all sat around the campfire and sort of held hands and bought into what the team wanted to do this year. 
and I had belief in them from what I saw pre-season and those plays specifically are a big part of their success. So um, a bit of uniqueness and not going McRae was, was a tactic. And, um, but I, yeah, Bonson Pelly pick was, was a really short, um, short lived sort of pick given he is a targeted player by the opposition. Yeah, again, I've said this previously on our podcast, um, willing to give all teams a pass in round one. That lead up to round one was very unique. Uh, we didn't even know if we were going to get games. Uh, some players would have been, their headspace would have been all over the shop where they were not playing. All of a sudden, obviously, with the concerns overseas and what's going to impact us, are they going to play? Then all of a sudden, they, you know, on that Monday night, they had to, Monday and Tuesday night, they had to accept a, like a pay cut all of a sudden. So it would have been completely messing with some players' minds. Uh, and uh, the Bulldogs were actually very flat in round one, and I expect them to bounce back from your point of view. I think that's actually both of those players should be a good hold, and especially Dunkley, man, because we know he crushed last year, and we know he can obviously crush again this year. Jep, my two unique midfielders to you are Jack McRae, who I'm actually quite happy with. Uh, we know he can put up high scores, so there's no moving on from McRae for me. And Andrew McGrath was my fifth midfielder, and I'm actually quite happy with his midfield usage in that Essendon team. I'm fine with holding both players long-term. Your thoughts on what we have discussed so far, Jet? Yeah, I like your team. I think um, your midfield especially. I think you've got a lot of coverage, as do I. Um, I don't think our biggest problem is, is in our midfield. Um, but I think the listeners need to, those Tom Green owners need to have a plan in place uh, to either upgrade or bench or move on and yep, and, and, um, and not have him on the field because, you know, his, <clears throat> his initial score of 27 isn't doing any, any coach any favours. Yeah, and when you back up their job security, which we think is pretty low... Uh, there are issues there, so make plans, even if it's uh, putting him on the bench to see how your team looks, or finding a different option. I mean, you know, again with rookies this year, what are we going to have? So he might be one player that could sit on a bench there for for a while and not play. So, but at least there's a little bit of money there if a 170k player drops in, uh, that we can make you know 80 grand or so there. Jeb, that top 25 midfielder ownership and trading strategy article is available on afrratings.com.au under fantasy. Next week, you and I will break down the ruck position, and that is going to be a fun episode because <laughs> I, I spent big on Grundy and Gorn, and you talked up, not starting with Grundy in round one, but obviously you locked him in. And also, you did not start Max Gorn and went with Sam Jacobs. I'm looking forward to breaking down those numbers. Your thoughts there? Yeah, lots that are too. It was haunting me all pre-season, so we, we got a lot to, uh, to dissect and, and um, have a laugh at, hopefully. Before I close this podcast, if you would like a chance at scoring a plus six podcast cap, just retweet any podcast link that is sent out via Twitter. We'll give a few more away at the midway point of the season. Jep, on that note, we'll wrap up this podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks, guys.